Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, Southbridge. Thank you so much for joining us online. We're grateful that you're here. And we know we've had people join from all over the place. Some of you are part of our church, some of you are not. I think I was told it's 14 different countries have tuned in since we've been doing these online services, since this whole shutdown happened. But there's one thing I want you to know. Obviously, the the heart of our church is connecting people to Jesus for life change. We want this world to know about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us one of the ways that happens is that the world's going to know that we're his disciples because we love one another and we care about you. And you might feel alone right now. Or you might have some need that's going on. Or you might want somebody to pray with. And maybe you're just new to the church. And so would you just do, before we even get rolling any further today, would you text the word hello to the number that's on our screen below? We want to be able to connect with you. And if you just want to text with somebody, that's fine. If you'd like to talk with somebody, hop on a Zoom call with one of our pastors. They'd love to do that with you. What we've been doing as a church is we started a new sermon series called Divine Invitations. And we're just asking ourselves, as a church and as individuals, What is God calling us into right now? What is he inviting us to be a part of? And last week we started looking at Psalm 23. And today we're going to jump into a specific verse, just one verse in Psalm 23. Psalm 23, verse 4. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there, get there. If you don't have a Bible, if you download the Southbridge app, you'll be able to find a Bible in there. And Psalm 23, verse 4 is where we're going to be. But I'm going to pray for us as we open up the scriptures. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now and uh, we're scattered. Not just all over the city, but all over the world. But we want you to speak to us or we wouldn't be here in this moment. And so will you speak? Will you speak through my lips? Will you speak into lives? Will you speak into marriages? Will you speak to kids? Will you speak to to people who've never tuned in before? Will you speak to people who've been a part of our church since day one? God, will you open up the scriptures in a way that just opens up our lives to you and you'd invite us into the very thing you desire for us to step into next. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. During these unique times, our vocabulary has changed some. You know, I wasn't saying the phrase social distancing until all this happened. I don't know about you, but the word unprecedented seems to be coming up all the time now. Unprecedented just means you never experienced something before. And I feel like as I think about where we're at as a culture and as, as the world, is that we're in unprecedented times of fear. And it's kind of like, if you've ever seen a scary movie, and they'll, they'll play as they produce the movie, like in the background, they'll play some soundtrack that has to do with what's going on, right? Like, and so if there's a happy scene, which even in scary movies, there's happy scenes that are kind of setting you up for, you know, the big jump scene. And, and so there's a happy scene. Dad's cooking burgers out in the backyard. And little kids are playing in the sprinklers or on, you know, the pool, whatever. And there'll be happy, happy music in the background. And then when the bad guy comes, all of a sudden, the music gets in a minor key. The tone, it's like you're getting emotionally ready for something bad to happen. And I think that's kind of a picture of what's happened for many of us during this pandemic. For some of us, we've experienced terrible stuff. And for others of us, there's been some things we like about this, if we're candid. The slower pace of life, the simplicity of it, going on walks, maybe less pressure at work. And... But it's like for all of us in the background, there's this soundtrack playing of fear. And so let's bring it to the, to the forefront today. Let's bring it right up and let's face fear head on. And I want to ask you this question as we get started. When have you been most afraid in your life? What's been the scariest moment of your whole life? And for some of you, it's right now. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe, maybe you've gotten sick or lost a job or something's happened in this that's been tragic. Or maybe for many of you, it's something that happened before this. Finding out you had cancer. Something happened to somebody that you cared about. 
you did lose a job, you weren't sure how you're going to pay the bills, or maybe you're a business owner, and you think about all those people that depend upon how things go at your work, and you don't want to make the wrong decision. And some of you, you, you've been in tragic situations, you've almost died, car accidents, like think about a truck barreling down on you, how fearful that is. I was, I was talking to my mom this week, and I asked her, I said, you know, as a kid, I remember lots of times when I almost killed myself. Tell me some of the stories you remember. And she started telling me stories I didn't even remember. Like she said, do you remember when the neighbor kid stabbed you in the leg? I'm like, I got stabbed. How do you not remember getting stabbed? Like, how did I block that out? Like, what happened there? But I, I said to her, I said, do you remember that time I threw the rope up on the garage and it got stuck? And that was like a divine invitation for, you know, a 10-year-old boy to start climbing the, the garage wall. And so I started climbing the wall. I was scaling the wall and I'm pulling on this rope and it's holding me until I got totally parallel with the ground. It was about five or six feet off the ground and the rope wasn't holding me anymore. It gave way. Boom! Hit the ground. I couldn't breathe. I'm only 10 years old. I don't know much about death at that moment, but I know death means not breathing, and so I'm panicking. Those of you who are wondering, I made it through the situation, but I was, I was scared. What about you? Why have you been scared? Many of you know a lot of my stories. If you've been part of our church, you know about the time when my wife was diagnosed with an incurable disease. It was like staring evil in the face. When my daughter was taken from my front yard, face-to-face with evil. What about you? And what if, what if I told you that it's possible to be face-to-face with evil and be fearless? What if I told you it's possible that when I talk about evil, I mean something that's going to harm you, to to come right head-on with the scariest moment of your life and have no fear? Today's message is called Fear No Evil. And we're looking at a passage of Scripture that talks about not just that that's possible, but how and why that can happen. If you've got a copy of the Scriptures, it's in Psalm 23. We talked about last week, this is one of the most famous passages in all of the Old Testament. In fact, when you look at this passage of Scripture, some of you, you don't hear what it says because you're so familiar with it. It's the kind of passage that if you've decorated your house with shiplap, it's probably a verse that's up on the wall. You might have a sweatshirt of it or a mug, or even if you don't even know Jesus. But you've watched a movie before where they have, they have like a funeral moment. And there's a guy standing at the graveside. He's a religious guy and he's reading a passage. It's probably this passage. And the danger of that is we can become so familiar with the psalm that we don't hear what God's saying to us through it. And last week we asked ourselves the question as we looked at the first three verses, who's our shepherd? Which was, who's leading your life? Who's feeding your mind? Who's restoring your soul? I'm going to tell you right now, it's not Don Lemon. It's not Sean Hannity. It's not your podcast you're listening to. It's not all the media influences that are out there. But there's a good shepherd who wants to. And it's the Lord. And then we're going to look at today this verse that I think is the verse that draws people to this psalm. It's the exact middle part of the psalm. It's why people, when when they're facing death or they're dealing with fear or it's a dark night of their soul, that they come to a psalm like this. Look at it with me. I'll read the whole thing just because it's, it's only six verses, but we're going to focus on just verse 4 today. It says in Psalm 23, verse 1, it's a psalm of David. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. And here's why. For his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil And he's not talking about God anymore. He's talking to him, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare, and we'll look at these verses next week. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Did you see in in verse 4 that there is evil? He doesn't say that there's an absence of evil. Evil's there. But he says, I will fear no evil. And so standing face to face in the scariest situation you can imagine, there's no fear. And he tells us why. Did you see that in the passage? He says, because you are with me, God's presence. Your rod and your staff and God's protection. We're going to talk about that today. God's presence in our lives, God's protection in our lives, and how that can eradicate, can eclipse the fear that many of us are experiencing in this time. And so let's talk first about his presence. And, and the first point about his presence is simply this. When you experience his presence, it produces bold faith. Experiencing God's presence in your life produces bold faith as an outcome of your life. Because the question is not whether God's present. You read all through the Bible, God's always been present. It's like at the beginning of the Bible, in the garden, when he puts Adam and Eve in the garden, that's a sign he wants to be with us. When you look at Moses and he's, he's thinking he's going into the promised land and God says, you go, but I'm not going with you. He says, no, you go with us. We want you with us. He says, I'll go with you. David, who writes this psalm, says in another place in Psalm 139, he says, no matter where I go, where can I flee from your presence? If, if I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. You're everywhere. You get to the New Testament and, and you see, whether well, it's John chapter 1, he says that the, the word became flesh and came and dwelt among us. He's with us. Matthew chapter 1, he's Emmanuel, which means God with us. And you go through the, the Gospel of Matthew, and at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, we get our assignment as followers of Jesus. It's a scary assignment. Go make disciples. That's your one job. Baptize them. Teach them everything that I've taught you. Teach them to obey it. But it doesn't end with a command. It's a promise. I'm with you. You go throughout the New Testament. He says it more and more. All the way to the book of Revelation, the book of Hebrews. He says, hey, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you. The question is not whether God is present. The question is, are you experiencing God's presence? It's the experience of God's presence that produces bold faith. But there's something that stops us from experiencing God's presence. It's fear. And fear is what many of us are experiencing. I read a study this week. It was uh, from a, a college, Chapman University. They do an annual study on fear to see what people's greatest fears are. They gave their top 10. I'll read you some of them, not all of them, just for the sake of time. But they introduced the study saying there are more Americans are afraid now than ever before. Coming in at number 10 on their top 10 list was fear of high medical bills was what people are afraid of. At number six, people I love dying was the number six greatest fear. Number five, people I know becoming seriously ill. Number four, not having enough money for the future. Number one, Corrupt government officials was the number one fear amongst the people they surveyed in America. But here's the thing. This survey was from 2018, two years before any of this happened. And you think about what you're seeing on social media and people fear of the government and they're lying to us, they're holding something out on us. Think about people fear of their their friends, their relatives getting sick, fear that they're going to get somebody, unknowingly get somebody else sick, fear that they're going to lose a job or they have lost a job. They're afraid of how they're going to pay their bills. And it's like what's happened in this pandemic is that things are rising to the top. They were always there. But it's like, it's like when a refiner refines gold, they turn the heat up on the gold and the impurities come to the surface. And, and as this pandemic has happened, it's turned the heat up on our lives. And there are some people, you're watching this video right now, and you've told people things before. You've given cliche or trite answers when they're in difficult times, and now you're in a difficult time, and you're realizing, I don't think I really believe that. 
our doubts are coming to the surface. Our fears are coming to the surface. I did a very unofficial, obviously, poll or survey. I just asked people on my Facebook page, what are some of the things you're afraid of or people you know are afraid of? And you can read. There are a bunch of comments, but here's a couple. A friend of mine named Wes said this, unemployment and finding a new job. That's for me and for lots of people, he wrote. A friend of mine named Kimberly goes to this church. She wrote, the new normal. We think we want what we had, even if we didn't like it, because it was what we knew and it was comfortable. Denise, a mother, writes, she's very transparent, I think. She's afraid that her children, having to be separated from her and being isolated from family and alone in a hospital room because of the virus. And there are fears. There are lots of fears. A lot of us are experiencing these fears. And in this time, they, they tend to rise to the surface. But did you see in this passage that the psalmist is saying, in the midst of the scariest possible moment, he feared no evil? Think about it. He said he was, where was he at? He was in the valley of the shadow of death. And what is that? What does that, that look like? And what's he talking about? Because David, obviously, as a shepherd, would be familiar with this. And then he thinks about his own life experiences and times when God's shepherded him through these moments. And, and I had a friend who sent me a picture last week when he knew that I was preaching through Psalm 23. He said, have you been here? And he sent me a picture from Israel of a valley. Now, this isn't exactly the valley of the shadow of death. We don't know that there is a shadow of the valley of death. But when I saw this picture... It made me realize what it, how dark it could be at the bottom of that valley. Where the sun shining, even going to the depths of that valley, unless it was directly over top of it, the sun wouldn't even reach there. And the darkness of this valley and what it would represent for these sheep coming through here with their shepherd and, and what it would be like. And as I read about it, they talk about the humidity of the depth of that valley. There'd be so hot down there and there'd be so dark down there. And then if a storm came, if a storm came, they would, they'd be drowned. But not just that, but in, in the crevices of the valley would be hiding in that, those dark shadows animals that desired to rip those sheep to pieces. And so here's David saying, he's the sheep and the Lord is the shepherd. And he's saying, I go with you. I walk through the valley. And you think about all that the valley represents. It's all the unknown. Think about in the dark night of the soul, the question, am I ever going to leave this valley? Do, what, do I even like the other side? Is the other side better than the green pastures we just left in verse 3? Do, do I want to go through the valley? The fear of the unknown? The fear of vulnerability, because the valleys make us vulnerable. And right now, we're in a valley. Because of this pandemic and other things that are happening while this pandemic is taking place, people are still getting sick of other things. There's still other tragedy taking place. There's still other difficulty. We're in a valley. And he's saying here, I don't need to fear. Because why? Because you are with me. Because your presence eclipses the fear that's happening in my life. See, the problem for many of us is when it comes to fear, we're like kids. We fear the wrong things. We don't fear the right things. Think about a little kid. Some of you have little kids. Remember back when you were a little kid? Little kids are scared of stuff like what? The dark in their safe house with alarms and locks and doors and conditioned air and perfect setting, right? But they're afraid. Afraid of the boogeyman. But then you take a kid out into the world and they'll go strolling out into the middle of the street. They're not afraid of the traffic. You put a kid, you take a kid to the zoo and they see a rattlesnake. It's like, let me play, I want to play with the rattle. Like, they're not afraid of what they should be afraid of, but they are afraid of things they shouldn't be afraid of. You think about us, what are we afraid? We're afraid we're going to be rejected. We're afraid we're going to die. We're afraid we're going to lose money. Afraid we're going to lose jobs. But we don't fear God. It's the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God. When we fear God properly, all the other fears are flushed out. You see, God, God will, 
He, even for believers, will discipline those he loves and we're not obedient. We're afraid of dying. What's going to happen if we die? We get to go be with him? We're afraid of that. We're afraid of going to heaven where there's no crying and no pain and no criminals. We're afraid we're going to fail if we step out by faith boldly. We follow the God of second chances. If we're going to lose our money, there's a reason why Jesus says in the New Testament, don't fear those who can take your life. Don't fear man. Fear God who can take your life and throw your soul into hell. See, we have the, the wrong fear, and then we realize that the, the one that we fear, the fear of God, the fear of God's not like he's going to you know, beat us or something. The fear of God is that we recognize he's not like us. We're in awe of him. He's other than us, but he's got our back. And he's with us. His presence then eclipses the fear. But did you notice? Here's something many of us just read past in this psalm. Maybe you're familiar with it, but have you ever noticed this? How do you end up in the valley? How'd the sheep get there? And what we have here is not, is not a picture of sheep that wandered away down the wrong path and the shepherd's going in rescuing them from the valley to get them back to the green pasture. No. The shepherd is the one that led them into the valley. The shepherd led them there. Look at the, the passage in verse 3. Give me the context. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. And the scholars debate, is it paths of moral righteousness or is it the right path? Just for a sheep, it'd be the right path. But he leads me in the right way, regardless of how you interpret it. He leads me, leads me in the right way. And then it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's part of the right path, is the valley. God's the one who led even in the valley. Now, some of you don't like hearing that. You think, well, if I do the right things, it's like God owes me. God should, only good things should happen in my life. Now, here's the problem with that. Is that sometimes God leads us into bad things to do a good thing in our life. And what you see in the scriptures is, it's not just this passage. You see it throughout. They go to the New Testament. Sometimes people are in difficult situations because they obeyed God. And God led them into that spot because God wants to do a work in their hearts because here's the reality. God oftentimes does a work in the valley that we miss in the green pastures. We're prone to wander. When we get comfortable and life's going well, we tend to drift away from him. And in the valley, we tend to cling to him. It's like, have you read the story? A lot of times we just jump into this story. In Matthew chapter 14 is where you can find it, where Peter walks on water. Incredible story. A lot of times we just give him a hard time because he sank. But do you ever ask yourself the question, why are they in a boat? Why are they in a boat without Jesus? Like you could go, they shouldn't get in a boat without Jesus, but that's not the point of the story. What's just happened is Jesus fed the 5,000 and then he sends them in a boat ahead of, the, ahead of him. And so the reason they're in the boat is because they obeyed Jesus. Oh, let me rephrase that. The reason they're in the storm is because they obeyed Jesus. And it says, if you read that passage, that they were terrified. They were afraid. You know what they were afraid of? The waves. But then if you know how the story goes, you know that Jesus comes walking on water to them. Do you know what he's walking on? The waves. The very waves that they're afraid of, the very thing that you're afraid of might be the stepping stone that God uses to walk into your heart. Why does he lead us into the valley? He's doing a work in the valley. He's making us aware of his presence in the valley. You know what happens in that story is they're terrified, but then they crown. They realize that it's Jesus because Jesus. They say, "Who is it?" He says, "It's I am. It's me. I am God. I am here." And then Peter. I think it's kind of funny what happens next. Peter says, "Well, if it's you, tell me to come." Well, what if it's not him, Peter? Like, what if it's a demon floating out there? You trusting the demon's going to tell the truth? And then Peter gets out of the boat. We give him a hard time because he sinks, but he did something no other human's ever done. He walked on water because he was willing to take a radical step of obedience because when you experience the presence of God, it produces bold faith. 
And so he's not listening to, and we don't know who said what. He's not listening to Philip going, hey, you got kids, don't go on the water. Hey, you're going to get a plan for your retirement, don't go on the water. Hey, that's, no one's ever done that before. He's going on the water because he's going towards Jesus. But then you know what happens. He starts to sink. And the reason why? <laughs> Let me read it to you. It's fear. Fear is what stops us from experiencing the presence of God. It says in, in Matthew chapter 14, that Jesus said to him, come, in verse 29. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Oh, wouldn't it be amazing if it just stopped there? But, verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Here you get a picture of what happens in so many of our hearts. We know, we know we want to follow God. We know we want to experience His presence. We know we want to be with Him. But we're also afraid. And when we start looking at the circumstances, we get afraid. Like I, was I had a friend at the beginning of this, and he told me I could share this with you. His name is J.D. Hensterling. He's one of our elders, actually, at our church. We were talking at the beginning when the world was shutting down and everything seemed to be changing and no one knew what was going to happen. He was just telling me some of the fears he was experiencing. And uh, I went to this passage, and I've gone to this passage in Matthew 14 for several folks in this time. I said, keep your eyes on Jesus. Like, stop looking at all the circumstances. The author and perfecter of your faith, like, he's there. and He wants to meet you in this. And I thought I encouraged him. felt like a really good pastor. Fast forward a couple weeks later, I'm talking with all the elders. And we're talking about uh, just a faith step that God's calling, calling me to and whether or not I should do it. And I start telling them all of the fears I have. And then J.D. says, hey, Scott, a couple weeks ago, you told me this passage. Let me tell it to you. And he tells me the passage, tells me the same truth. And I said, listen, J.D., I prefer to be the preacher in this situation. Why don't you just chill out over there with the scriptures? Because here's the thing. I know what the Bible says. Sometimes when you're in the midst of the circumstances, it's hard to, it's hard to live it out. When you get, God takes us to the valley for a reason because he wants us to live it out. You, know, you hear people say all the time, faith, not fear. That's not the point. Faith is not the opposite of fear. The opposite of fear is courage. The opposite of fear is boldness. Faith is the means to that courage and boldness. The opposite of faith is sin. The opposite of faith is disbelief. The opposite of faith is doubt. And so it's, that's what happens to us when we start to look at the circumstances and we become fearful and then we miss what God has for us. God wants us to experience his presence. So he leads us into the valley because it's in the valley it becomes incredibly personal. Did you notice that in verse 4? The word changes here. Then in the first three verses, he talks about God like he's talking about God. He, he, he. And then in verse, verse 4, he's talking to God. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. But when he gets to verse 4, it says, you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. It's personal in the valley. Because we long for presence when we're in the valley. Thinking about graveside services and people reading this passage, I remember one time I was at a graveside service, um, and it was just family and friends, and I was one of the friends. I wasn't the pastor. I was just there as a friend. And there was another pastor that was leading the service, and one of the things he did as a ministry beyond just being a pastor is he was a volunteer chaplain for the police department. And he was telling us as we were gathered there, he says, I do a lot of graveside services. And I do them for criminals, gang members, drug dealers, all kinds of different people. And he says, you know what's interesting is that no matter how, how bad that person was, somebody always shows up. Sometimes it's one person. It's a wife or a husband or mother or kid, but somebody always shows up. 
And he said, what I always do, it's just, he thinks about it as part of his ministry, is he said, I always wait around about 30 minutes after the service is over with, just in case somebody comes back. Because I want to represent God's presence. I realize in that moment I'm a representative of God, and I want them to know God's with them. And he told the story about how one time he was there, and he had done a gang member's funeral, and the whole family was going back to get in the car. As they were getting in the car, this little boy, he's three years old, came running back to the casket, and he knocked on the casket. It was his dad's funeral. And he says, okay, come home with us now. Because when we're in the dark night of the soul, when we're in the valley of the shadow of death, we long for presence. And God's presence, it's, it's not whether it's there. It's there. He's in the valley. The question is, are you experiencing it? Are you longing to be overshadowed like Peter because of the fear that's there? Or when you're longing for the presence, is it like Peter where it's like, I'm going to step out. I'm going to step out, but whatever you call, whatever you're inviting me into, and God's inviting some of us into different things. Some of us, he's inviting us to slow down. He's inviting you to rest, and that takes incredible faith for some of you. For some of you, he's, he's calling you, and he has called you in the past. Let's be honest. Some of you, he's called in the past to radical generosity. You've said, no, first I got to, you know, save up for the kids' school or got a retirement account. Listen, you've seen with this how fast the retirement account can go away. And maybe you miss that opportunity, but he keeps giving invitations. Maybe he's inviting you to radical generosity. Maybe he's inviting you to share your faith. And you've always said, well, my neighbors are busy and I'm busy. And Maybe he's inviting you, maybe some of you, you know, some of you, you think, I want to go back to my job, but it's funny because like two weeks before all this happened, you were complaining about your job to your spouse. You're complaining about your job to your pastor, to your small group, to different people. And, and now you're going, I want to get back to normal. Do you really? And maybe God doesn't want you to. Maybe the worst thing that could happen is you go back to the way life was before this happened. Because right now he's got you in a spot where he's paused everything. And he's saying, I, I, want, you to, I want you to do something significant for me, but it's going to require radical faith. And, and you're afraid to do it, but you, he's with you. It could be in the scariest circumstances of your entire life. And when you experience the presence of God, it'll lead to bold faith. That's presence. But not just presence. Look at, look at protection. He says here in verse 4, not only are you with me, but we see here that God's protection produces an incomprehensible peace. God's protection in our lives, not just his presence, his protection in our lives produces an incomprehensible peace. And when I say incomprehensible, it's like what Paul talks about in the New Testament. When he's talking in Philippians about having a peace that surpasses all understanding. And the way I understand that, the best way I understand that is this, that, that when other people look at your life that don't have Jesus as their shepherd, that they see that you should be panicking and instead you have peace. They see that you should be fearful, but instead you have peace. They see that you should be hopeless and doubting, but instead you have peace. It's one of those unique forms of evangelism that God does where he draws people to himself through the way that his people respond to him in the valley. And it's because of knowing God's protection in our lives. What's the worst that can happen? We get to go be with him? To live as Christ, to die as gain, right? Do you believe that? That he's a God of second chance? What if you fail? He's a God of second chances. What if you lose it all? What if you lose the company? What if the business closes down? He built it once, or, or did you? See, you walk through the valley with him. He'll protect you. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, scariest possible circumstances, I'll fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, but there's another reason. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now we can talk about all the details of a rod and staff. A rod uh, is used like a weapon. It's a club like, that, that would be used. Like last week we talked about David and Goliath. And when I told you the story about how he killed the lion, he probably used a club. He said, I struck him. Not a sling, 
probably a club. That's the rod that he uses. It's, the rod is used for correction of the sheep. God disciplines those he loves. And also for protection of the sheep when an enemy, when evil comes. And then the staff. The staff is what we see in the nursery rhyme books. The staff is that crooked stick. It's used to guide the sheep. Here's what you need to know about the rod and staff. They're instruments of protection. But see, here's the thing. It's kind of like, it's like if you were to go through a difficult neighborhood, like a rough neighborhood, and you're afraid, but you're with somebody, and maybe that person was like a bodyguard, and they had a Colt 45. And you looked, and you're like, oh, he's got a gun. You feel comforted by that. Like, they must know how to use it. It's a tool for them. And they're gonna, if they have to protect me, they're going to use it to protect me, and that's comforting. Now, same scenario. You're going through a rough neighborhood, and that same person comes to you, and they confront you. They're not there to protect you. They confront you, and you see they've got a Colt 45. Well, that's a reason to fear. And, and that's what this passage is like. There are some people that come to this passage, they find comfort that should not find comfort here. If the Lord is not your shepherd, who's leading your life? Who's feeding your mind? Who's restoring your soul? There are people that have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior that then come to a passage of Scripture like this, like the Lord is my shepherd. No, he's not. He's not your shepherd. And, and you should be fearful of him, of circumstances. You're alone in this life. And here's the reality. What you're experiencing now may be awful. It doesn't get any better than this. This is what you experience in this world. If Jesus isn't your shepherd, this is as good as it gets. But if Jesus is your shepherd, what you experience in this world, no matter how bad it is, no matter how good it is, it only gets better. You see, he's taking you through the valley. And he's there to protect you. We talked about how one of the things that God's doing in the valley is he's revealing his presence to us. He's also teaching us about his protection in the valley. You see, it's not this simple, like, just one thing he's doing in the moments of the valley. Sometimes we treat life like that. We watch sitcoms or we listen to sermons, and it's like, let's wrap everything up, fix everything in 30 minutes. No. Here's the reality. The reality is that God's doing multiplicity of things in any one given event. And here he's not only revealing his presence and drawing you closer to him, he wants you to see his protection. And what do we know to be true about a valley? It's after coming down from a mountain. And oftentimes, you're gonna, if you're not camping out, and notice the text says, he leads you through. He's not, not staying there. So if you're a follower of Jesus, this valley, you're going to make it through this valley. Whatever's going on right now, you're going to make it through. Even if you die, that's just a passage to eternal life. You're going to go through the valley, and it's going to get, you're going to another mountaintop eventually. You're going to green pastures. He's going to lead you beside still waters. Your cup will overflow. But he's doing a work in the valley. It's kind of like I was reading this week Elijah's story. And there's a, there's a popular Sunday school version of Elijah's story in 1 Kings chapter 18 where he fights the prophets of Baal and there's a false god. But let me give you the context for what's happening. In, in 1 Kings chapter 17, there's a drought that's taking place. It hasn't rained for three and a half years. Okay, that's, that's global pandemic. That's difficulty that's happening. It's impacting every life. And then in chapter 18, he comes before this king, Ahab. Ahab wants to take his life. And they get an argument. It's kind of like a middle school argument. Uh, when they first see each other, Ahab says to Elijah, this is your fault. Then Elijah goes, no, it's your fault. It's like, this is your fault because you stopped the rain because Elijah prayed and it stopped raining. The problem was they worshipped a God who claimed to be the God of the storm. His name was Baal. And what, what Elijah says to him, he says, no, the problem is you stopped obeying God. And that's why it stopped raining. And he says, why don't you call your false prophets together? And I wonder how that went. Like, what's the invitation? Hey, if you're a false prophet, you know, come together. Like, I don't know how that invitation went, but he, he calls 450 
prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. There's 850 prophets there. And then Elijah, he's bold, right? He's, they're, on the, they're on Mount Carmel. This is a mountaintop moment. And he says to them, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a showdown. And your God's the God of the storm. Some of the images of Baal are depict him holding a lightning bolt. They think of him as the God of fire. And he says, let's, let's make a sacrifice on the altar with a bull. And if Baal's God, he'll consume it with fire. But if Yahweh, if my God, if what the Christians call the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, if he is God, then, let's, then he's God. Then, then we'll know he's God. That's the challenge. It's home court advantage. You go first. And it's, Elijah's there. He's drawing a line. He says to all the people, think about all the people that are there. Ahab's the king. He wants to kill him. There's almost a thousand prophets there. They want him dead. And there's all these people, and who knows what they thought of him. Is he the one? Is he the problem? People have been saying he's the problem. Sure, let's just kill this guy. And other people are like, let's just see how this goes. And he says, listen, no riding the fence. And that's what a lot of Christians do. And I hedge my bets, and and when when I need God, I'm going to go to God. And when I want to worship my idols, and what do you want to call that? Baal? You want to call it your work? You want to call it your other people's opinions of you? Whatever. You go into that. and, And what ends up happening is that these prophets, they're calling down fire from heaven for a few hours and one of the things I love about the Bible is how, how much trash talk there is in the Bible. We mentioned that last week with David and Goliath. But I like Elijah even more because Elijah is real sarcastic. And so it makes me feel good about me. And so Elijah, what ends up happening is that he's talking to these prophets. After about three hours of them crying out to Baal, nothing's happened. He says, hey, maybe your God's taking a nap. Maybe he went to the bathroom. Maybe he's sitting on the throne right now. And, uh, and if it was today, he'd probably go like, and they ran out of toilet paper. He's been in there for a little while. We should go, go get him there. Maybe, maybe he's on vacation, maybe, and he's talking trash. And they go for a few more hours, and then he finally says, all right, everybody, come here, come here, come here. I remember there's a drought. He says, dump some water on the bull. He cuts his bull up, puts it on the altar. They do. He says, all right, do it again. Dump some more water. Three times, he says, dump water on the bull. And then he cries out to God. Now remember, Elijah, he's a man just like us. And so it's not like he's like, like, probably have doubts too. It's not like he's sinless. And do you think he thought to himself, God, you better show up. He says, God, so that these people will know and they'll turn to you. And then we don't know if it was a lightning bolt or what, but the bull was consumed. And listen, listen to what it says in 1 Kings chapter 18. It says, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. It was revival. All the people turned back to God. Now, whether he's on Mount Carmel at the top or whether he's at Mount Carmel in the middle or at the bottom, that's a mountaintop experience. Like, can you imagine being Elijah in that moment? Wouldn't you be like, God, you just used me to bring national revival to all these people? How incredible. Here's the problem. A lot of times in children's church, Sunday school, we don't ever talk about what happens in 1 Kings 19. We should. Hopefully we do. But in 1 Kings chapter 19, what happens? It goes out, it rains. But then Ahab goes and tells his wife what happened to the prophets and how they're all dead. And then she says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you, Elijah. You know, you think about it, if you're Elijah in that moment, aren't you like, did you see what happened to the bull? Did you see? God's got my six. I'm good. Like, you, you, your prophets, they're all, come on, lady, bring it. Like, but that's not what it says. First Kings chapter 19, it says this. He was afraid. Fear. And he arose and he ran for his life. Came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah left a servant there, but he himself went a day's journey. He went even farther into the wilderness and came and he sat down under a tree and, and, and he asked God that he might die. He said, it's not enough now, Lord. Take away my life. You know where he's at? He's in the valley. But God doesn't work in the valley. 
In fact, if you read 1 Kings chapter 17, you want the whole context of chapter 18, this mountaintop experience? There's a valley before the mountain. There's a valley after the mountain. In 1 Kings chapter 17, he was being fed by a raven. Okay, there's the high life, and there's being fed by a raven. That's not it. And then he goes to a widow, and there's this widow who's hopeless, and she's going to die. And God was preparing him there for what was going to happen on Mount Carmel. There's a reason why people refer to the valley as the valley of vision, because we get to know our God there better. He's revealing not only his presence, he's revealing his protection. And I want to tell you something, Southbridge. Our country, not just our church, our country is in a valley right now. But we have a shepherd. And the world's like sheep without a shepherd. How are they going to see our shepherds when we experience an incomprehensible peace? When we experience God's presence? That when all, everything should say that we're fearful, we're taking bold steps of faith. I'm not saying being foolish, but bold steps of faith. Whatever he's inviting you into, you're stepping into. You're not too afraid to share the gospel with a neighbor. You're not too afraid to radically give. You're not too afraid because, because you've seen his protection. And it's not like this is the first trial we've ever been to, the first tragedy that's gone. Think about the school shootings. My daughter texted me the other day. This is the, I don't know the stats on this or the facts on this, but she texted me this is the first month in March since, like I don't know, a long time ago. There hasn't been a school shooting in March. We knew school shootings. We know tragedies. Some of us, we forget some of the ones that don't impact us directly. You know, if it wasn't 9-11 or something like that. But do you remember a few years ago, about five or so years ago, there was a shooting in a mall in Kenya. 200 people were injured. 67 people died. And, and there was this one story that kept coming to the surface about this young woman. Her name was Senna. She was a mother. And Senna went there that day to have coffee with a friend. She's sitting there having coffee, and these four gunmen come in. They start shooting. She falls to the ground. And NBC News reported this story, and, and it said that there was a cell phone that was going off, and that she said she put her hand underneath the guy next to her to silence the cell phone. She realized there was a bunch of blood there, and listen to this. She said, when I put my hand under him, that's when I realized that this guy had been shot because he was bleeding. And NBC News said that she reportedly said, he was bleeding heavily. There was a lot of blood there. Now, she had a decision to make at that moment. And she made a life-changing decision to take that man's blood and to cover herself with it so that the gunman would pass her over, assuming that she was already dead. And she did. And she said to the, to the reporter, she said, I'd love to know who he was, the man whose blood she, she had, because I think his blood protected me, saved my life. So here's the reality. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he is the good shepherd, but he lays his life down for the sheep. That's what he did at the cross. See, he didn't have any sin. He didn't go to the cross because of something he did wrong. It was because of all that we've done wrong. The Bible says it like this, that he became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He shed his blood at the cross so that you and I could be protected from the wrath of God, so that we could be covered, so that when we stand on judgment day before God and we see the rod and we see the staff, we know they're for our protection. But there are some people that are going to stand there that day and it's God's wrath is going to be poured out on them because they haven't trusted Christ. They haven't been protected. They haven't been covered by the blood. He's not their shepherd. And so they're going to have to pay for all of eternity separated from God. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got a shepherd. And he wants you to experience his presence and to experience his peace. And the world needs to see that. And if he's not your shepherd, the great news is he can become your shepherd today, right now. In fact, the Bible says if you call upon him, if you call upon his name, you'll be saved. His name is Jesus Christ. And if you'd like to call upon him to save you right now, would you pray this prayer with me? 
I'm just going to acknowledge sin before him and ask Jesus to be Savior. And if you want to do that right now for the first time, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins and to rise from the dead. I believe he rose from the dead. And today, right now, I want to ask him to forgive me of my sins. I want him to be my shepherd. I want him to lead my life, to feed my soul, to lead me even through the valley. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Listen, if you just prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's the most important decision you could ever make. The Bible says that all of heaven is rejoicing with you. And we want to rejoice with you. And I want to tell you how you can grow in that relationship with Jesus. And so if you would, would you just text the word Jesus to the number on your screen right now? And like I said at the beginning of the service, if you've got any kind of needs or anything that's going on, would you text the word prayer to the number on your screen right now? We'd love to pray for you. And church family, just to let you know some of the things that are happening in our church, we're still doing our food drive. You can go to our website, get information about that, giving away thousands of pounds of food to people in our community. But we've got a unique opportunity today. Today up at our campus, um, we're going to be having an opportunity to do a blood drive. There's a critical need for blood in our city, in Wake County. And today between 1 and 6 o'clock at our campus, 12621 Strickland Road, uh, you can come up, you can make an appointment online if you'd like to. We're going to be observing all the social distancing and all those different types of things. Um, but because there's a critical need for blood between 1 o'clock and 6 o'clock today, you can come up here to the campus and have an impact. And I've, I've read, what I've seen is that given just one pint of blood can save up to three different lives. And so you get an opportunity to make a difference. If you've got a question about something God's inviting you into, again, text us at this number. Just text us the word prayer, and we'd love to connect with you. Thank you for joining us today. Will you read with me our benediction? Number 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace. 